And we pray all these things in your name. Amen. Let's get right into our study. John chapter 18 is where we're going to be this morning. We're going to start reading at verse 30. So John chapter 18. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand and uh, Bill will slip you a Bible. He'd be happy to give you one so you can read our text, study God's Word with us this morning. We've been in a verse-by-verse study in John's Gospel for several weeks, and we're getting close to the end. Um, our text we are really on holy ground as we're seeing Jesus being handed over to Pilate as he's on trial and then will be led away to be crucified. John chapter 18, verse 30, and we're going to move into chapter 19 and cover to verse 16 this morning. So John chapter 18 this morning, as we've already seen in this chapter, that Jesus was arrested in that garden that was called Gethsemane as Judas, the betrayer of Jesus, brought a detachment of troops. In the garden there, they would bound Jesus up, and he would be taken to the home of the official high priest, uh, Caiaphas, as he would begin a series of trials. Actually, he would begin with a preliminary hearing before Annas, who, according to the Jews, he was their high priest. He was the power behind the high priestly office. And so it was before Annas that the servant of the high priest would strike Jesus. And so the sufferings would begin at that point. And then he would go before the official high priest that Rome had set up, Caiaphas, and the religious council called the Sanhedrin. And as Jesus stood before them, they condemned him to death. And then they would put a, uh, a blindfold over him and they would begin to beat him. Meanwhile, as that's going on in Caiaphas' home, uh, we know that out in the courtyard, there is Peter who denied the Lord three times and he would hear the sound of the rooster. And we left off last time with Jesus now being brought to the praetorium where he is turned over to Pontius Pilate, who is the governor of Judea. And as the religious leaders were standing outside of that compound, which was probably Herod's palace, in their piety and in their arrogance and in their hypocrisy, they did so not wanting to tread on Roman ground to disqualify them for uh, and in eating Passover. But yet here they are handing over the Passover lamb of God, wanting Jesus to be put to death by Rome. And as we pick up our text, Pilate came out to meet the religious leaders that had Jesus bound up, and Pilate asked them, what accusation do you bring against this man? So let's pray first, and then we'll continue in our study here. So, Lord, we do ask, uh, this is a familiar portion of Scripture, and, and Lord, I pray that it would impact our hearts here this morning to a greater degree the love of Jesus, what he did for us, and, and taking on the cup of suffering and death, that we might have uh, forgiveness of sin and, and right relationship with you that only comes through Jesus Christ, that we can know truth and we can know salvation comes through Jesus who went to the cross and rose from the grave. So Lord, I pray that this would impact our hearts to a greater degree um, as we just uh, look at this, what Jesus did for us and proven his love for us in Jesus' name. So let's pick up our text at verse 30, as I mentioned, chapter 18 of John's gospel. And they answered and said to him, if he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him up to you. And then Pilate said to them, you take him and judge him according to your law. Therefore the Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spoke signifying 
by what death he would die. So the Jews, the religious leaders, that is, is they bring Jesus to Pilate and, and to the Romans because even though they had condemned him to death, they did not have the legal right to put Jesus to death. That, it was taken away by Rome as Rome is now occupying Israel. And we know that um, they would uh, have a different means by putting somebody to death. The, the Romans did it by, of course, crucifixion. And the Jews would do it by stoning somebody to death, as we know from the Old Testament. But even though that right was taken away from uh, the Jews, um, we also know that the Jews at times would stone somebody. We see that uh, in John chapter 8. You might recall that they were ready to stone that woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. And if it wasn't for Jesus interceding, she probably would have been stoned. We know that uh, it was in Acts chapter 7 that Stephen, the first martyr recorded in the scriptures, for Jesus, he was taken outside of Jerusalem, and he was stoned to death. But here, as we see with Jesus, the religious leaders very much feared the people. And the Gospels tell us, so uh, they, they want to put it back on Rome. Hey, it's not lawful for us to execute anyone. You took that right away for us to deal with him. He's an evildoer. He must be executed. They're hoping if Rome does it that, that they will you know, not be blamed by the people for putting Jesus to death. But we also know that these events are unfolding so that it might be fulfilled by the prophets, by what Jesus himself declared, that he would die by crucifixion. You recall in John chapter 3 when Nicodemus was meeting with Jesus on that cool spring night. And it was uh, Jesus that said to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, just as Moses lifted up that serpent in the wilderness, as he made reference to Numbers chapter 21, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Nicodemus, I'm going to be lifted up on the cross to die for your sins, to die for sinful humanity, because all of us, we've been bitten by that snake of sin, haven't we? And we know, just as that story in Numbers chapter 21, Moses told the people to look upon that pole, and as they were being bit by poisonous snakes, that uh, they would be healed, they would be saved, that as we believe in Jesus Christ, who went to the cross for you and for me, us being bitten by the snake of sin because the wages of sin is death and we are saved as we believe in him knowing that he died for our sins he rose from the grave and so jesus going to die by crucifixion <clears throat> the scriptures declared that psalm 22 and isaiah 53 also speaks of jesus death by crucifixion even before the method of execution came about by the romans david a thousand years previous to what we're reading about here in psalm 22 he writes they pierce my hands and my feet i can count all my bones isaiah the prophet would write 700 years before this time that he was like a lamb that was led to the slaughter he was numbered with the transgressors and he bore the sins of many so the scriptures and jesus speaking about what death he would die we continue reading in verse 33 then pilate entered the praetorium <clears throat> again called jesus and said to him are you the king of the jews and jesus answered him are you speaking for yourself about this or did others tell you this concerning me now when pilate asks jesus this question he's asking him in the context of are you a political rival? In other words, are you some sort of uh, insurrectionist, a person who's leading the Jews in rebellion against Rome? Are you the king of the Jews? Why 
if you are, aren't the people backing you rather than you being arrested and handed over to us by your leaders? And it's interesting, Jesus' response here. He says, are you thinking this, Pilate, or is this something that has been told to you concerning me? It does remind us that Jesus, you see, he claimed more than being the king of the Jews. He claimed to be the king of kings, the Lord of all lords. And the question that every single person has to answer is, do we believe this or this is what others tell me about him? This is what it's been told to me about Jesus. And for you and for me, for, for us in this room, I know that for most of us, if not all of us, that we are here and we've made it personal, that we believe that Jesus is the Lord of all lords and the King of all kings. It's a personal belief. It's not just uh, being religious or uh, believing that Jesus was some kind of spiritual leader or great teacher or, you know, the leader of Christianity. But we've made it personal in our life. And Paul, he would write in his second letter to the Corinthians that he would say to them, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. And there are those who perhaps think that they are a Christian because, well, my parents are Christian and this is what's been told to me of Jesus or, you know, this is what other family members or, you know, I used to go to church and when I was going to Sunday school, the Sunday school teacher used to tell me about Jesus. This was told about Jesus to me. But have they embraced Jesus personally? Has it impacted their hearts and their lives? Coming in faith in Jesus Christ is what saves us because Christianity, as we know, is not about religion. It's about relationship with Him, embracing Jesus personally and who He is and what He did for you and for me. And here it is that, that Jesus really isn't the one that's on trial. Remember this. It's Pilate that's really on trial. And so Jesus is going to be telling him, my kingdom is not of this world, but first, verse 35, Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. My kingdom is not of this world. As Jesus declares that there is a difference between man's kingdom and God's kingdom. Earthly kingdoms are based upon power and pride and love uh, of the praise from man, uh, a desire for rule and domination and self-interest, just as uh, the rulers of Rome were. The heavenly kingdom is exemplified by Jesus in the cross, based on love and sacrifice and, and true righteousness. Remember Jesus when in the previous chapter he was praying for his disciples and he would pray that they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. And we discuss how you and I as believers that we are in the world presently but we're not of the world. We're citizens of heaven as Philippians chapter 3 verse 20 declares from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And in verse 37, as we continue through chapter 18, that Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? And Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. And everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And Pilate said to him, What is truth? 
And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. Kind of interesting as, as Pilate is conversing with Jesus here. And, and Jesus tells him that those who hear my voice, that um, is the one who hears truth, who is of truth, hears my voice. And we know that Jesus the night before would declare in that upper room that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So Pilate asks, what is truth? And here's the interesting thing. As Jesus says that those who hear my voice, you know, is of truth. Those who believe in me are of truth because I am the truth. And Pilate asking what truth is, I think he's saying this skeptically. You know, what is truth? Because he doesn't even stick around to hear what truth is. And he goes back to the Jews and he says, I find no fault in this man at all. But the Jews, the crowd, are, are not going to be satisfied with that answer. And at this point, the other Gospels tell us that they begin to yell. They begin to inter, you know, erupt Pilate. Now remember, as we discussed last week, that at this time, Pilate, the governor of Judea, that he's on thin ice with Rome. He's in the political hot seat, if you would, because he had made some mistakes previously. Uh, he had made some miscalculations, made some decisions that would cause uprising in Jerusalem a couple times as the, the Jews would be angry at what Pilate had done. And so he knows, as Rome has sent a message to him, that Pilate, you need to make wise decisions. You need to get it together. We can't have this uprising, particularly in this part of the empire, so get it together. He knows that, that he's on thin ice, that he can't make a wrong decision here. He doesn't want there to be any kind of uprising, and it's already the city with the Passover. All the Jews are in Jerusalem, and their, their uh, tension is rising. And uh, it, it's uh, a situation that can explode. So he wants to appease the Jews. And he says, verse 39, But you have a custom that I should release someone to you at the Passover. Do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And then they all cried out, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. So Pilate, having displayed a lack of interest in truth, Pilate then revealed a lack of commitment to justice, and we're going to see that. He lacked the courage of his convictions. We're going to see that Pilate really is not a good leader because he's going to be taking the advice of the crowds rather than being a leader and doing what is right. So if Jesus was innocent of any charge, which Pilate has already declared, I find no fault in him at all, Pilate should have let him go free. But what Pilate does is he begins a, a series of compromising moves to avoid dealing with the Jews directly, dealing with the Jesus directly. Uh, Luke chapter 23 tells us that when Pilate found out that Jesus was a Galilean, he said, hey, I can get rid of this completely. I'm going to send him to Herod. Herod, who was the governor up in the north part of the country, and Jesus, a Galilean up in the area of Galilee, that, that's Herod's jurisdiction. He's here in Jerusalem for the Passover. I'll send him to Herod. Let Herod deal with them, and I won't have to deal with the Jews, and I won't have to deal with Jesus. And Pilate thought that was a good solution. And Herod, the tetrarch, 
had always wanted to see Jesus. He, he had heard about Jesus, all the miracles that he had been doing up in the Galilee region. And so when he came to Herod, Herod was happy. And he wanted Jesus to do some kind of miracle in front of him. And Jesus said absolutely nothing to Herod. So Herod mocks him, sends him back to Pilate. And I wonder what Pilate thought as he sees the soldiers with Jesus, you know, bound up coming back to him. And now Pilate is going to try to appease the Jews, the crowds. And it is believed that perhaps Pilate at this time makes a miscalculation. Pilate wants to bypass the religious leaders of the nation if he can. Matthew chapter 27 tells us that Pilate knew that they had handed Jesus over to him because of envy. So, hey, let's do it this way. You have a custom. I give you Barabbas. His name means the son of the father. Or I'll give you Jesus. Which one of you do you want me to release for Passover? And I think that this is where, of course, Pilate miscalculates because I'm sure that he thought Jesus is popular. I mean, look at Barabbas. He is guilty of murder and insurrection. And compared to Jesus, who is considered their king, a couple days ago, at the beginning of the week, he rode into Jerusalem and the people were waving palm branches and they were crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. For sure, they're going to, to want me to release Jesus. And they don't. They cry out, we want Barabbas. We want Barabbas. One who is guilty of insurrection and murder. Matthew chapter 27 verse 20 tells us that the religious leaders persuaded the multitude that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. Now, how did that happen? Well, we don't know for sure, but probably because Jesus, when he came in on that Sunday with his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and they're all crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You might recall that when we covered that text, that what they were really looking for was a political, material you know, uh, king is what they were looking for. They were looking for somebody who was going to overthrow the yoke of Rome, overthrow the Roman soldiers, and, and establish the kingdom. This is what Messiah is going to do, and he hasn't done that. Look at him. He, he's there bound up, standing before us. It isn't going to happen. So they begin to cry out, we want Barabbas, crucify Jesus. And in Pilate, hearing the response of the crowd, has Jesus scourged. Pilate is now between a rock and a hard place. He knows that to let Barabbas go, who was the true enemy of Rome, would be irresponsible for someone who was to be looking out for Rome's interests. So let's go into chapter 19, verse 1. Then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe. And then they said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands. And Pilate then went out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. Pilate has already declared Jesus to be innocent. I find no fault in him at all. And to scourge him... Now was a gross injustice, um, but Pilate, hearing the crowd that they want Barabbas, they're growing in their insistence that Jesus be put to death. He thought, if I have Jesus scourged, you know, maybe that'll satisfy the crowd, and they'll, you know, stop crying out, crucify him, and they'll want me to, you know, uh, release him. So, verse one, Jesus is scourged, and we know that that was a terrible torture. 
that he would go through to skirt somebody with that Roman cat of nine tails, a leather strip um, with other strips of leather coming out. And at the end of each one of those leather strips was a piece of metal that was sharp. And uh, it would literally just take chunks of skin off your back. And then they, they, they would take the thorns, the Judean thorns that are still around today in Jerusalem. They're about four or five inches long, and they're very, very sharp. They're sharp as razors, and they would make a crown of thorns, and they would pound it on his head, and it would completely lacerate his scalp, I'm sure. They beat him. They pulled out his beard, uh, these soldiers. They put a robe on Jesus to mock him as king. Purple is the color of royalty, but they are humiliating him as much as humanly possible. Look at the king of the Jews. His crown of thorns and purple robe and bloodied and beaten. And, and Pilate brings him out to the crowd once again. He thought that they would have compassion on Jesus. But we read in verse 5, Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When they brought Jesus back out into to the crowd, Pilate, he says, Behold the man. Behold, look at him. Look what they've done to him. He's hideous to look at. He was so severely beaten. He was so disfigured and, and bloodied and humiliated that all Pilate can say is, Behold the man. They've beaten him within every inch of his life. John, is, as Travis mentioned, the, the, the book of Revelation. John, when he was on that island of Patmos, when he wrote the Apocalypse, the Revelation of Jesus, in that heavenly scene of John, uh, Revelation chapter 5, he, he writes, I looked and behold, in the midst of the throne of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain. The prophet Zechariah talks about the time. When the Jews will ask Jesus, where did you get those wounds, you know, as they see him pierce, and he will say, I got these wounds in the house of my friends. The indication there in Scripture, Revelation talks about Jesus, what he looked like in his glorified body, but also the lamb that had been slain. So Pilate perhaps thought that the scourging and beating and humiliation of Jesus would get the crowds, you know, to quiet down towards Jesus, but it doesn't. As verse 6, therefore, when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out saying, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, you take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. Now the religious leaders, you know, displaying their hatred for Jesus here and, and shouts for his death. And notice here, how many times has Pilate declared Jesus to have no fault in him? Three times. And yet, it's a mob mentality, and Pilate is beginning to really fear the crowds here. In verse 7, the Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to our law, he ought to die because he made himself the Son of God. So the religious leaders knew and understood the claims of Jesus. He claimed to be God. And in the statements of I am that we have seen in this gospel, he said to them in John chapter 10 that I and my father are one. And the religious leaders responded by picking up rocks, wanting to stone Jesus for blasphemy and because you being a man make yourself God. So they clearly understood the claims to be God, Jesus made, and the religious leaders say to Pilate, according to our law, he should be put to death for blasphemy. But the problem was this, Jesus is God, and he proves it by rising from the grave. 
And verse 8, therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was more afraid. And he went again into the praetorium and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then Pilate said to him, are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you and the power to release you? And Jesus answered, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. Now, when Pilate heard that the Jews wanted Jesus crucified because he claimed to be the Son of God, Pilate becomes more afraid. Afraid of what? Afraid that I'm involved here in sentencing a man who claims to be God and fear would begin to grip him, perhaps his conscience being convicted by Jesus as he claims to be truth. So he goes back to the hall of judgment to see Jesus. Where are you from? And Jesus didn't answer him. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 7, that he was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. As he was led as a lamb to the slaughter, as the sheep before his shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And Pilate, in his frustration, you know, responds, Don't you know that, that I have the power to crucify you? I have the power to release you? And Jesus' answer is, Pilate, you can have no power over me except what's been given to you from above. It reminds me of Belshazzar in Daniel chapter 5, the king of Babylon, when he was toasting to the pagan gods of Babylon and, and a handwriting came on the wall and they brought out Daniel to interpret it and Daniel rebukes the king. Daniel says, you have not humbled yourself, Belshazzar, like your grandfather Nebuchadnezzar did. But you knew about him. You knew he told you about his God. And, and you are giving praise to the God of gold and silver and God holds every breath that you take in his hand. Acts chapter 17, Paul, when he was talking to the philosophers there in Athens, he said, the true God gives to all life, breath, and all things. You see, it doesn't matter how big or how small you are in the world, how powerful or insignificant you are. God holds your life in his hand. And as I mentioned earlier, it isn't Jesus that sits in the judgment hall here, it's Pilate. Pilate is being judged, not Jesus. Pilate, you're just a pawn in the hands of God who is in control here. And it's all happening according to plan. Pilate, don't take yourself too seriously because you don't realize how little power that you do have in this situation. And notice that verse 11, that Jesus says, you have no power at all except it's been given to you from above. The one who has handed me over to you is guilty of the greater sin. Of course, speaking of Judas and the religious leaders, but let's continue in verse 12. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, saying, If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. And when Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Pilate here in a difficult situation. He fears the Jesus. Who is he? They say he's the son of God. And I personally believe that Pilate at this point, he knows that he's dealing with no ordinary man here. That he's very special and he's gripped with fear. According to Matthew's gospel, Pilate's wife has sent a message to him, have nothing to do with this just man. Even Pilate's wife called Jesus just. For I've suffered many things today in a dream because of him. So Pilate is afraid of Jesus, but he's also afraid of the crowds who are yelling at him. 
If you don't let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. It was a threat to Pilate when they said that. That we're going to let Caesar know what you're doing. That you don't hold the interests of Rome. And they're going to come down hard on you. It'll be three strikes and you're out, Pilate. And Pilate, fearing man over fearing God, is going to give in to the crowds. Yes, this is all centered around God's sovereignty and plan. I know that. Since the beginning of time, it was ordained that this hour would come for Jesus. But in that, it does not excuse the responsibility that Pilate has. Pilate admits that in verse 10, I have the power to crucify you. I have the power to release you. And Pilate, knowing that the religious leaders were envious of Jesus, knowing that he is a just man, an innocent man, knowing that there's something unique about this man, he still caves in to the cries of the people, crucify him. If you let him go, you are not Caesar's friend. And again, I want to remind us that whenever we fear man over fearing God, we will put ourselves in a place uh, where compromise will happen. And we can let people manipulate us like Pilate is doing here, letting the crowds manipulate you, him. And, and if, if you don't let him go, we're going to tell Caesar. And the same thing can happen to us. If you don't do what we want you to do, even though you know it's not right, we're going to tell Caesar. We'll tell the boss. We'll tell your friends. We'll tell whoever that you're linked to and you'll be out of the loop. The scripture says that the beginning of wisdom is to fear the Lord. Proverbs chapter 9 verse 10. Jesus said, don't fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. But rather fear him, that is God, who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And here Pilate fears Caesar, Rome, the Jews, over the fear of the Lord. And will deliver Jesus over to be crucified. And my prayer is that as we journey through life, that we would do what is good and right, even when it's not popular. Because when we do do what's right, it's not going to be popular to the world and to others. It will cause us grief. We'll end up having relationships that are severed even and, and strained. But we are to do what is right before God, and we are to fear God over fearing man. And it's an important truth to remember if we want to be used of God and have an effective walk with the Lord. Paul would write in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. And we have to learn that in our Christian life and in our Christian journey that there will be people that will push and manipulate us to try to get us to do something that we shouldn't do or not to do something that we should do. So we are to fear God. And as we do, we will minister and live, you know, an effective Christian life. We'll do it with peace and a good conscience. And here Pilate, his conscience would bother him because he feared the people. And as we finish this morning, now it was the preparation day of the Passover and about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, Behold your king. But they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Isn't that an amazing answer that they would give to Pilate? And I'm sure that, that Pilate, when he heard that, when they said, We have no king but Caesar, that his jaw dropped. When he heard the response of the religious leaders, the crowd, Shall I crucify your king? They said, We have no king but Caesar. You know, all their rebellion that they demonstrated. 
They didn't want to tread into the, the praetorium to defile themselves from meeting the Passover. And, and now they're saying we have no king but Caesar. And in rejecting Jesus, their Messiah, they would embrace Caesar. Do you realize that many Christians in the early church would be martyred because they would not say that Caesar was their king? They said Jesus is our king. He's our Lord. And this morning, once again, as we're reminded as we go through this text, that every single one of us has to make a decision. Is Jesus your king or is Caesar your king? Is Jesus your Lord or is Caesar the world your Lord? you got to decide. And all of us have opportunity to present truth to others that Jesus is truly the Lord of Lord and the King of all kings, that he is the Son of God who died for you as we present that gospel to others and rose from the grave. There's only one king, and that is Jesus, who loves you so much that he died for your sins. Father, we thank you. As we know that it tells us that they would deliver Jesus to them to be crucified, so they took Jesus away and led him away. And he did it because he loves us so much. Because Jesus is the one, the only one that could provide forgiveness of sin. Just as the author of Hebrews says, there's no other sacrifice for sin. There's no other salvation. He is the author of eternal life. He is our salvation. And I know that, Lord, for us in this room, that we have embraced that truth personally, not just a head knowledge, or not just theologically or philosophically, but personally. But I do want to pray if there's anybody here in this room here listening to this message that you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. Our lives in this world will come to an end. And then we will face our maker. And the way to salvation is to say yes to Jesus right now. To acknowledge that you are a sinner. Because the wages of sin is death. Every single one of us have sinned. You may consider yourself a good person. People call you a good person. But here's the thing. The Bible says that none of us are good enough. We've all fallen short. We don't compare ourselves to others. But God has a perfect standard for us to get into heaven. And if we break one part of the law of God, then, then we're guilty. And Jesus came and took all of your sins upon himself. He would cry out from the cross, it is finished, I've done the work, I've paid the price, it's paid in full. The atonement that he made for you personally. And then he was put into a grave and he rose again and he conquered sin and death. He proved, he validated what he did on the cross. And now the Bible says that you come in faith, believing in him. You confess that you're a sinner. You turn to Jesus, surrender your life to him. He loves you so much. And he came not only to give his life, but life abundantly. So I want to pray if, if you're here today and maybe others have told you about Jesus. Maybe you grew up and you... You heard about Jesus, but you've never come to that point of really embracing him personally. You don't know if you're right with God. Don't leave this place without crying out to him. And whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This is a time for you to do that. And you pray right where you're sitting, Jesus, I believe that you're the son of God who died for me. 
And I ask that you forgive me of my sins. Jesus, thank you. Thank you so much for loving me and paying the price for me. Be my personal Lord and Savior. I believe you rose again. And I want you to sit on the throne of my heart as I now give you my life and I open up my heart to you. I'm surrendered to you as I believe that you are the Son of God who died for my sins. And I embrace it personally this morning. Thank you for hearing my prayer in Jesus' name. And while we're just in an attitude of prayer, and just we're going to finish up here in just a minute. If anybody here prayed that prayer, I want you to come up and, and, and receive prayer afterwards. But what I want you to do is just put your hand up and put it back down this morning. Anybody at all, don't be afraid. Raising your hand doesn't save you, but you're saying, I'm making a statement that it, I'm making a decision personally. Anybody at this service at this time? I'm not going to prolong it. Anybody at all? Father, I thank you. And for all of us, that we would stand on your truth and declare you as Lord in our lives and how we live and the words that we speak. Thank you for this time that we've had together, and I pray you bless everyone here as we go our way. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you please stand? And we are here to pray with you. Jim's up here in front to pray with anybody that needs prayer. But God bless you. Have a great week as you go your way. Enjoy the warm weather.